Okay, you're going to think you're at a conference. Open up to Romans chapter 8. <laughs> I, really, I myself really enjoyed this morning's service, how the Lord put that together. So we're going to look at predestination again a little bit. Um, normally this verse is lifted completely out of its context, as is the one before it. And uh, it's been used to teach Calvinism, uh, predestination. I mentioned that some this morning that God predestined before the foundation of time who would be saved and who would not be saved. And some people believe it to the point. It doesn't matter. Whether, I, I told this lady one time, I said, you mean I hear the gospel preached. I go to the altar. I repent of my sins. I receive Jesus as my Savior. But if I wasn't predestined, I still can't be saved. She said, that's right. <laughs> you know, that went on for several years. I can't remember now, four or five years that. She would take me to the airport. After it was all over, I never convinced her. She never convinced me. I said, Lord, what was all, all that about? He said, I just wanted you to understand that intellect is no safeguard against deception. Intellect is no safeguard against deception. Because her IQ is pretty high. Okay. I thank God for the truth. Well, the verse that I'm talking about is Romans 8, 29. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Well, what do, what does that really mean? And I read it this morning from the Amplified. I should have already had that pulled up. I'm sorry. Give me just a moment. Romans 8.29. Okay, in the Amplified. For those whom he foreknew. Now there it is. Those whom he foreknew. And I remind you again of the lesson from a week or so ago. Two species, one alive and one dead. At that, on the cross, as far as God was concerned, it wasn't Jesus that died. We know it was. But Jesus certainly did not die for his own sins. He didn't have any. He's dying in the place of Adam, and I mean the whole species of Adam. So from God's point of view, when Christ died on the cross, the whole species of Adam died that day. Okay. When he was raised from the dead, as far as God's concerned, in the same way God knew everybody who was ever of Adam, God knows everybody who's ever of Jesus, whether they were alive at the time or 2,000 years later like you and me. He knows us. He knew us before the foundation of the world. He's always known us. And whom he foreknew, I look at it this way and amplify it, whom he foreknew, of whom he was aware of and loved beforehand, he also destined, he destined from the beginning for ordaining them. So what did he destine us to be? <laughs> he destined us to be molded into the image of his son and share inwardly his likeness that he might become the firstborn among many brethren. This was God from the before the foundation of the world. He foreknew us. He knew us. And he said, these people shall the believers shall be conformed to the image of my son. And uh, we even went back to Genesis 1, verses 26 and 27 this morning, where three times in two verses it says, this, see, that's always been God's plan for man. 
Three times in two verses, God says, let us make man in our image. In the image of man created he them and so forth. Three times in two verses. When God repeats himself three times in two verses, he's trying to get something across. And Jesus, we know from Hebrews chapter 1, is the express image of God. So that's why Second Corinthians 3.18 says, as we behold the glory of the Lord as in a mirror, we are changed into the same image. That's always been God's plan. So we preached that this morning. For more detail, you can go to this morning's message and look at that. But then after the service, uh, Mark came up and he says, you remember that message you did last week about the seed? He said, this word here, it says predestinate. Do you see the word destiny in it? Yeah, predestinate. I can see destiny in that word. He said, well, what's the destiny of any seed? What's the destiny? What's the end result? It's going to produce the image that's on the inside of it. What seed did he sow in us? Christ. <laughs> the sower sows the word. <laughs> he is the word. I said, I'll give you credit one time. <laughs> I'll give you credit one time for that sermon. After that, it's mine. But isn't that good? Because it is true. Any Now, one thing that I, that I wrote down this week since I taught that lesson on the seed. See, one thing, you know, we, we remember the parable of the orange. The original orange had a conversation with a modern orange down in Florida. And the original orange says, I'm, I'm glad to see that you're still producing just like I did. The same things I did, you can do also. In other words, the, the seed has reproduced down through the generations, and it's supposed to not lose its power. Thank God. I'm glad oranges don't lose 10% of their oranginess. Every every crop, I mean, by this time, there'd be no oranginess left. You know what I mean? It can still produce, isn't that right? But one thing that I did write this week, I said, well, one thing about it, though, if you took a seed out of an orange today and you compared it with the seed out of the original orange, they better be the same. In other words, it can't be corrupted. And I think that's what's happened a lot in the church. The seed, the image has been so corrupted we can't, okay, I don't want to preach that way. <laughs> we can't even see the real Jesus anymore. Quite a few years ago, Bronk Flint was, had a kind of a teaching vision, I think it was, and there was this Jesus in his church standing where Bronk normally stands and preaching, and everybody was, yay, yay, Jesus. And about that time that Jesus gave him a wink. You remember that? Come to find out it wasn't the real Jesus. It was a demon come to be an imposter. Well, um, a lot of people today worship a Jesus that they've made in their own image. They've made a Jesus that approves of their lifestyle when the real Jesus does not. I hope you get to listen to that first. I think it's the very first message that Jim Martin did at Bronx this last week on uh, spiritual warfare. But that first message, he talks about the building of the tabernacle by Moses. And Moses had to build it after the image that God gave you. I mean, there was precise, detailed instructions. I mean, detail, it just blows your mind. The curtain had to be this thick and not that thick. It had to be this color and not that color. And the hooks had to be this far apart and on and on and on. I mean, every little fine detail and it was not easy to get all that stuff in the wilderness. You know, badger skin. Where do you get badger skin in the wilderness? Another translation says dolphin skin. Well, where do you get dolphins? 
<laughs> in other words, and the trees. I mean, in the desert, there's not a whole lot of trees, but you had to have uh, shitum wood or however you pronounce it. You know, this had to be that kind of wood. Couldn't go get an oak or a scrub or something. Had to be that particular. And I mean, this was hard, hard work in great detail that took a lot of effort. And God says, only then, only when you finish it, then I'll come and visit with you there. And it's a type of Christ on the inside of us. But being finished in the sense of the temple is complete. We have conformed to the image, and God says, I will meet with you there. Okay, that's good preaching. That's good enough. I'm, <laughs> I mean, if we don't have anything but that, man, that's. I want to go pray now. I just want to go pray. Well, getting back to our verse here, Romans eight twenty nine, For whom he did foreknow. Well, that's all of us. He also did predestinate. He made a decision. I like how the Amplified says that. Let me read that again. He destined from the beginning. He destined. He made a decision. I like to say it this way. He made a decision before the foundation of the world that man would be in the image of God. And Christ is the express image of God. That's what he's talking about. That he might become that <clears throat> that we be molded into the image of his son. That we that he might become the firstborn among many brethren. But see, even that because we've lifted it out of context. If you leave it in its setting, look at the verse right before it. Verse twenty-eight. I grew up hearing this verse out of its context, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. So the preachers I grew up under would lift that verse out of its setting and just say, see there, that car wreck that killed your wife and your kids, that's God working all things together for good. That cancer that attacked your body, he was you're probably getting a little too prideful, so he put you on your back where you can only look up in a hospital, you know. I mean, I've heard so many messages like that. All things work together for good. But what if we were to leave it in context? What if we were to leave it in context? Let's see, let's back up one more. And he that's, verse 27, he that searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Well, what kind of prayer is that? Let's back up one more. <laughs> Likewise, the Spirit also helps our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. If you leave this all in context... While you're praying in tongues, you can rest assured the Holy Spirit is making intercession for you. And everything that he's praying is working for your good. And everything that he's praying is working that transformation to the image of God. <laughs> God. Sorry, I really got to go pray now. <laughs> and then they right about there, jumps over to Jude, you know, beloved. Building up yourselves, the real you, on your most holy faith. How? Praying in the Holy Ghost. I got a good look at some unmortified Gary yesterday. What was it? It's none, it's none you. <laughs> and it doesn't really matter. Ego, you know. I'm sure none of you, I'm sure all of you left that behind long ago. My little ego got bruised, and I reacted in a way that was not Christ-like. And, uh, see, if I could just fix myself, 
If there was a spiritual wrench going, I'm going to shut that off. <laughs> Where is that ego valve? Here it is. We just shut that ego valve off and not have that anymore. You could have a selfish valve. You could have a, <laughs> a you know, kind of ambition. You could have a whatever, love of money. <laughs> but we we can't do that. And that's why God gave us a way that he could do that for us by this very process of sowing the seed. So let's go to Mark 4. I know you know it by heart, but let's go there anyway. Mark 4, we'll start in 14, the explanation. He says, the sower soweth the word. Now, before we go any farther, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. A little further down, we know that he became flesh and dwelt among us. So he's definitely talking about the pre-incarnate Christ. It's fine, my early day understanding of this passage. If you need healing, you find scriptures on healing, and you sow the word into you until the word becomes flesh. And your healing manifests. That's true. It'll always be true. He had me do that with prosperity. Remember those three verses? He had me walk the floor four hours a day. Speaking that until there was a change, a harvest on the inside of me. And I've never been the same since. And uh, all the time that I had a, had that, quote, incurable heart disease. That supposedly still today, there's no cure for it. And... Uh, a guy that came to the church, gave his testimony about how he got prayed for through his through his medicine away, and he was healed. So I got prayed for, went home, threw my medicine away, and nearly died seven years, seven days later. And I went in and talked to Dave about it, and he said, well, Gary, you, you just need to do your own preaching. I went, what? Because <laughs> I was always taught pretty heavy on confession. He says, God's not obligated. I still remember it. I can, hear it. I can hear it in his voice just as clear. Thank God for Pastor. He said, Gary, God's not obligated to heal you. Or let's say, it, I think the way he said it, God's not obligated to manifest your healing because you threw your medicine away. But he is obligated to manifest your healing the instant you believe it. What you need to do is go get your, refill your prescription, take your medicine, be thankful for it. But every time you take that medicine, you take God's medicine. Get you several scriptures. And what I use, I, I can tell you now, the little Charles Caps white, Confession book. By the way, in the early days when we were having the Bible studies in the early day of the ministries, I had a, uh, I worked out a, a deal with Harrison House, who at the time was publishing that. And I could get, they made me such a deal on those little Charles Caps books. I'd buy them a thousand at a time for like 20 cents or something. It was, you know, cause I bought so many. We have literally sent thousands upon thousands of those books around the world for free. I just thank God for an opportunity like that. But anyway, I took that book and I'd, I'd do like a week for a week. I'd do like three different three verses, and then the next week I'd do three board. And uh, so at first I had to take that medicine four times a day. So four times a day I would quote two or three scriptures and take the medicine. Then a few hours later I'd take the take the medicine, quote some scriptures. He weaned me off. You heard me tell the story about every six months he had me cut back. You know, only take three a day now. Six months later, only take two a day now. After two years of that, I was going to go get the prescription refill. And the Lord said, no, you'll never need it again. You're healed. You believe it now. You're healed. Well, that was May of 1998. 
That's been a while. And I've never taken another dose of that medicine. Now, twice, that I remember, during all that time, the enemy circled back around and tried to put those symptoms back on me, but I knew what to do that time. And, and I run him off, and he hasn't been able to do it. I've been having some recent, I'm 75 years young, <laughs> been having some checkups and things, you know, because i got to be ready for revival. Okay. And every time they ask you your heart condition, you know, you know, it's one of the questions. Have you ever had this? Have you ever had that? And I said, well, yes. What did you have? Well, I had superventricular tachycardia. Oh, what medicine are you taking? None. And I just flat tell them. I said, well, what? I said, no, I got prayed for back in 1998. Jesus healed me and I haven't had any more medicine since then. And they go, what? Because <laughs> it's not supposed to, it's supposed to be incurable. See? Well, hallelujah. I don't think the word incurable is in God's dictionary. I don't think he believes in that. See? So I said all that to talk about sowing the word. I, I, I understand how that works. We've seen it work with our kids when they were in rebellion. One of them sitting here tonight. The other day, my youngest one, that the one that got arrested for interstate transportation of stolen firearms. Hi, Amanda. <laughs> She watches all these. <laughs> she was preaching to me, boy, on some stuff, just doing really good, just going and going. And I said, preach, Sister Amanda. <laughs> and I'm going, God, this is the same girl? <laughs> it's amazing. All three of them serving the Lord, you know. So we've sowed the word for healing. We've sowed the word for finances. We've sowed the word like that when it comes to our kids. But where he's taken us now, into the room of revival, like we talked about this morning. The room where revival lives. I think that's a good title. To go there does require the transformation to love. And I mean the metamorphosis. Not human effort. Again, you can't improve on how Dave said it. It's not hard to love. When love is what you are. There it is. There it is, see. And only the Holy Spirit can do that. And see, this section that we're, that we were looking at in Romans 8 is in the part where, and the Spirit also helps. Thank God for the born again trail, all those messages that Dave taught us about how the new nature helps us and how we were set free from sin. And it really wasn't the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit could set you free from sin, he would have set the Old Testament people free. No, it's the new nature. It's that born-again spirit that you receive when you get born again. It's Christ in you, if you'll allow me. That is what sets you free from sin. But there's other things besides sin. Ego. Uh, how to, Alan gets in trouble every time he teaches that message about kill four-year-old Alan, you know. By the way, I recommended to him after that service, I said, there's only one title for that service. Kill Alan. <laughs> I don't think you'll call it that, but anyway. <laughs> but it's absolutely the truth. We keep wanting God to fix us, and that part of us, He doesn't, He can't fix it. It's just got to die. You know, it's got to die. Well, that is how you mortify the flesh. You got to mortify it, put it to death. But now He's calling us to this higher level where it's not just a matter of sowing the word for healing or sowing the word for prosperity or sowing the word for your kids or sowing the word for whatever. He's talking about walking in the full measure of the maturity of Christ in us. See, really, and I'm, that's the ultimate meaning of this passage. 
Because God himself sowed Christ into you the day you got born again. He is the seed. He is absolutely the seed. And that, that new nature that each of us received, just like the, and we're going to get to it here in a minute, just like the mustard seed, may come in like the smallest seed in your garden. But the full image of that 15-foot-tall mustard tree plant is in that little seed. So the, the whole thing is about maturity, and I didn't see it for years. The whole thing here is about maturity. So let's, let's do read it. Hallelujah. So Mark 4, starting in verse 14, The sower soweth the word. How about Christ? <laughs> the sower soweth Christ in you. These are they by the wayside when the word is sown, but when they have heard, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. Now, when this parable is told either by uh, Mark or uh, Matthew or Luke, it says because they understand it not. They just don't understand what they heard. Okay. Well, if you don't understand it, come back next week and hear it again. (laughs) Keep coming. And these are they likewise, which are sown on stony ground, who when they have heard the word, immediately receive it with gladness. And have no root in themselves. So endure but for a time. Afterward, when affliction or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. And these are they which are sown among thorns, such as hear the word. And the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the lusts of other things entering in choke the word. And notice, and it becometh unfruitful. And these are they which are sown on good ground, such as hear the word, receive it, and bring forth fruit, some thirty-fold, some sixty, and some a hundred. So three out of the four kinds of ground here produce no fruit at all. No fruit. And the one that did produce fruit, why would it only produce thirty-fold? Is something wrong with the seed? Based on the parable he's going to teach here in a minute, I think he tried to harvest it too soon. Didn't give it the time to mature. Because come on down to verse 26. He's still teaching on the subject. So is the kingdom of God. As if a man should cast seed into the ground. Now in context, Christ is the seed at the new birth. You are the ground. Are we in agreement? And should sleep and rise night and day, and the seed should spring and grow up. Like I hear Norval's voice every time. Grow up. He knoweth not how. Let me stop there for a minute. I read an interesting, I read it years ago in engineering school, and I've read one similar to it not too long ago from another source, of course. And uh, did you know mankind, with all of our smarts, all of our modern-day technology cannot produce a seed that will grow. They cannot manufacture one from nothing and make a seed that will grow. And they can, they've tried. They've duplicated every DNA strand and every... <laughs> they've tried. And they can. it looks like the same thing, but when you plant it, it won't grow. It doesn't have the life in it. It doesn't have the God factor. I just think that's cool. When he says... And it grows up, we know it's not how, we still don't know how. <laughs> what do you put in there that we can't put in there? Well, it's called life. <laughs> anyway. 
For the earth, that's you now, see? For the earth, you, bringeth forth fruit of herself. First the blade, could I say thirtyfold? Then the ear, sixtyfold. After that, the full corn in the ear. But verse 29 says, it tells you when to harvest. When the fruit is brought forth, in other words, hundredfold, immediately he putteth in the sickle, because the harvest has come. And it's so, to me, it's amazing how these, I'm not trying to make any lessons line up with Alan's messages, but his messages have so been in line with this same thing. There is no substitute for maturity. Not when it comes to fruit. And you can take the analogy from nature. There is no fruit tree that produces fruit just because it is a fruit tree. It has to come to maturity first. And I watched my dad plant every kind of tree. Apples and pears. You know, at the lake. Apples and pears and peaches and every. He used to like to graft them together. He had a tree one time that produced three different kinds of fruit. That only lasted about two years. (laughs) Because it. It wasn't natural. <laughs> but he would graft things and see if they would grow. And he had this one tree that for a little while it produced a little bitty little fruit. You didn't want to eat it, but three different fruits. I forget which three now. But but it, it wouldn't wouldn't it didn't sustain very long. But now here's the thing, my dad Angie seen those and Kevin, they've seen those trees. Pears and apples. We had to put two befores up under the limbs. They would produce every year so many apples, so many pears. They're, they're going to break the branches off. So much fruit. They would feed the whole peninsula up there at Grand Lake where they live. I mean, just taking baskets of apples and pears uh, because there's too many. You just can't even can that many. And that, we, that one little tree that he planted there would produce apples for 40 years. I mean, just every season. And you didn't have to do anything to it to make it. Produce apples next year. Nope, it's just, that's what I do. I produce apples. See, that is what he's trying. That's revival for us. He's trying to get us to the... He said, would you please not... uh, Don't be so running around by the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the lust of other things or even... Would you give some time... To maturing the seed. Because if it ever comes to maturity in you. You won't be able to stop the fruit. Really. I mean. Well maybe you could. But the fruit will just come naturally. It's not something you have to try and do. It's just who you are. It's like a fruit tree. Like an apple tree or a pear tree. And the key is maturity. That's why he. Why else would he teach that parable at the end of it. You got to let it come to full harvest. Don't. 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 Harness the people at 30-fold and send them out to do stuff. Get, let them spend enough time to where it comes to 100-fold. Only then are you ready to harvest. Then he gave another one right after that, starting in verse 30. <clears throat> Wherefore shall we liken the kingdom of God? Or with what comparison shall we compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which... When it is sown in the earth, here we go again. (laughs) The mustard seed is Christ, if you'll allow me. The full image of Christ, I don't care how tiny that little seed looks to you, might look like a pepper grain, but the full image is in that, that seed. 
you're the ground. When it is sown in the earth is less than all the seeds that be in the earth. But when it is sown, here we go again, normal. It groweth up. <laughs> it groweth up. And become greater than all herbs and shoots out great branches so that the fowls of the air may lodge under the shadow of it. So again, it's talking about letting the, letting the image that's in the seed come to full maturity. Dave is the only minister still to this day that I've ever heard give me any clue as to how. I grew up in church. I've heard a, try, I've heard hundreds literally of messages. Gary, you need to walk in more love. Thank you. Thank you very much. Sadly, I knew that before I came and heard your message. Can I get my tithe back, by the way? <laughs> my offering, whatever. <laughs> I knew that before I came and heard your message, you know. Gary, you need to walk in more faith. You know, that's what it is. You gotta, you need to walk in more faith. Thank you. Thank you. I'd like to have my offering back, please. I, I knew that before I came. Can anybody tell me how? And it wasn't until Pastor Dave, thank God for him, that he laid it out line upon line, precept upon precept, with with love but relentlessly, until we understood. If you, We are the most blessed and the most accountable people, perhaps, on planet Earth, because we know what to do. We know what to do, how to nurture that seed and let it come to full harvest. I don't know why I saw that, but since it's up to him. <laughs> you can tell as Christ takes over your personality. Can I say it that way? In other words, you're going to be metamorphosed. No, metamorphosed, <laughs> transformed. Well, his nature is going to conquer. And more and more, your character is going to be shaped after his character. Well, his character has no self-ambition in it. His character only wants the will of the Father to be done. That's going to become your character. That's why the flesh, once it figure, like Alan says, once it figures out it's not benefiting from this time in prayer, it's going to fight you. Because it's going, hey, every time you fast and pray, I lose. Well, It'll kick and scream trying to keep you out of prayer and fasting. See, But the more that Christ overtakes us, what happens is your heart motivations line up with his heart motivations. Your thinking becomes like it. I'm, I, I, I can only see it through a glass darkly. But the way Dave said that, if you'd have been there and heard Dave in Jim's office that day, I wish I had it recorded. But Dave was like, I wasn't going to pray for the children in the hospital. I was going to bring them out. And the way he said it was so real. Because he'd spent just a minute in that room. And it's the room of love. It's the room of God's heart, God's compassion. Where there is no lack of power that goes with that. There is nothing that's not possible there. And I still remember the tone of his voice and the look in his eyes. Like, I, I was going to get him out. And he was. <laughs> and we are too, see. And it'll be the most natural thing in the world. It's, 
Is it natural for an apple tree to produce apples? It's not surprised. <laughs> ah, who thought, who would, who would have thought apples? <laughs> it's just natural, isn't it? And I'm seeing through a glass darkly. That's what the Holy Spirit meant. You'll look back on these days and just laugh that you ever thought it was so hard because the key is not trying. The key is maturity. That's probably the title. The key is maturity. Something along that line. There was a wave came in this morning that took my breath away. And that's just the beginning of the presence that's going to be coming into these services. It will be a presence revival. Yes. I'm going, to st- I'm going to start closing. How does Alan do that? It doesn't really mean anything. But... How do I say that the best way, Lord? See, the difference... <laughs> I'm right at the edge of my words. <laughs> I really understand the gifts of the Spirit in a way I never did before. And it came from that sentence that Dave says on one of, more than one, but he used to say, God, because we're trying, we keep trying to go, God, can't you just do these miracles for us and leave us alone? I mean, can't we just stay like we are and you just go over there? There's, there's blind Homer. I just pick on, Homer loves me. He won't get mad at me. There's blind Homer right over there, God. Can you just go over there, please, and open his eyes? And no prayer and fasting for moi. I'm, 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 I'll just stay like I am, please. And you go do that? Well, he can and he does, but that's called the gifts. See, for him to operate that way external of us is the gifts. That's why he can do it for babies. There's absolutely no flow, really. But what he's after... He, and this came from the, the the Lord's prayer of all things. <laughs> when Jesus would pray, Father, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, Jesus understood that for that to happen, it had to come through him. A flow, can I say a flow? Through him. God loved blind Bartimaeus before Jesus was baptized in the Holy Ghost. Why didn't he heal blind Bartimaeus before? He couldn't. He really couldn't. He had to have, his plan has always been for man to have dominion on planet earth. Well, he wants to flow through the man. He wants to flow through us. Now, he can do things by the gifts, and we're to covet the best gifts. But now I'm understanding why he says, let me show you a more excellent way, and that way is love. And that's into the room that Dave saw, the room where revival really lives. Because he wants to do it through it by a flow through us, not by the gifts external to us. I'm understanding the gifts in a different way I never did before. Now, there'll still always be gifts. He uses uh, he, uh, gifts also accompany callings. Dave would say with his evangelistic calling, he said, I'd get out on the road, God would show up, miracles would happen. After the service, I'd go to my motel room, he'd go to his. <laughs> and that was a relationship he had with the Lord at that time. I appreciate the transparency. But see, later on, it wasn't like that. Later on, he'd walk. He'd just walk in the room, and crying would break out clear across the room where there, nobody even saw him come in. But there was a presence. Remember the, the the ripple in the pond? Well, the 
the ripples went way beyond his physical person now. And that, that's the kind of thing God wants to do. What if he had hundreds of us like that? And worldwide, what if he had thousands of us like that? What if he had a million of us like that? See, that's a revival that we've not seen. That's a revival that's going to be bigger than the book of Acts. That's something that's not been seen by mankind before. When you finish this temple, when you've, when you've done the last detail, and you've put it into the image that I gave you, when you allow that image to come to completion, when that, when that tabernacle, when the image is complete, I will meet with you there. And boy, did he ever. Did you read about that? Oh, my goodness. Same thing when they finished Solomon's first temple. And the glory of the Lord. Remember the 120 trumpets? Reminds me of the upper room, 120 people. When the glory filled that temple at Solomon's, which it's just a type of you, they weren't even able to stand up. And he said in the blueprint and subsequent prophecies, his presence is going to come. It's going to be difficult to walk around. It's going to be difficult to leave the building. It is going to be a presence revival because it's a flow. It's This one will be a flow. Out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. This spake he of the Spirit, which had not yet be given because Jesus was not yet glorified. This one will be a flow. So our mission right now is letting the seed come to maturity. That is the whole mission. Through Hans, through Bronk, and a little bit through me, the Lord has warned us three times through three different vessels that the enemy is going to send some kind of counterfeit that is going to look shiny, it's going to look good, it's going to look like revival, he said one, in one time. But he said, it's not revival. And don't be diverted. Don't be diverted. So the standard, the litmus test he has given me, We're not through pressing in until Homer receives his sight and that toe. Until Tommy Perez gets up out of that wheelchair. And I mean healed. And when Victoria stands at this pulpit and articulates in her own voice what great things the Lord has done for her. Now, there may be wonderful and great things happen between here and between where we are and there. But we're not to stop at 30. We're not to stop at 60. For me, that's the benchmark. That's the litmus test. Cause I'm, see, and it's easy, cause I know that I know that I know that I know. I know. I know. If we got Victoria, there's nothing too hard for the Lord. If we got Victoria into the hands of Jesus, that girl's receiving the rest of her brain now. Tommy's coming out of that chair, and Homer will be seeing and stomping around on a new toe. Amen, amen. There's just no doubt in my mind. Well, thank God. I remember well, there was a time when I doubted those kind of things. Thank God where he's brought us, but we got a ways to go. So let's focus on maturity. The church is going to finally, after all of the holidays and the, the snow and everything that's happened, you know, this week looks like we're going to have... Our regular prayer time is back, and I'm so looking forward to it. So looking forward to it. All right. I can't get away from this. Uh, it won't take very long. Go to Acts chapter, about chapter 8. I'm not exactly sure.
I was going to do this during the lesson and I missed it somehow. You know, after Saul was converted on the road to Damascus, uh, he had an encounter with Jesus and he went blind for a season. And so they've taken him to a certain home in, in Damascus. See, more and more we're going to be conformed to the image of Christ. But there's always going to be you and him. It's not like he takes you over to the point that you don't exist anymore. And if we're going to teach on that, we'd go to Galatians 2.20. Paul trying to describe it. He said, it's me, but it's not me. It's Christ in me, but it's me. But now Saul is blind. And Saul needs to be filled with the Holy Ghost. And God wants to do it through a man. He didn't have to. But this is the way God prefers to work. So it's actually Acts 9, starting in verse 10. There was a certain disciple at Damascus. Not an apostle, not a prophet. Not, we're just told this is a disciple. This is like us. Named Ananias. And to him said the Lord in a vision. Ananias. And he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. Now, the point is, we're two different individuals. Okay? But the Lord has come to talk with one of his disciples. I expect us to have so many encounters like this. Okay? And the Lord said to him, gave him instructions. So precise. Here we go again. Detailed. Arise. Go into the street, which is called straight. Inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he prayeth. And he hath seen in a vision a man named Ananias, coming in, putting his hand on him, that he might receive his sight. Now that's pretty straightforward instructions. You go to this street, you're going to find the guy there, so forth. And then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard by many of, of this man how much evil he has done to thy saints at Jerusalem. And here... He has authority from the chief priest to bind all, that means to arrest us, that call on thy name. Now, I love this. This is a, He's talking to a disciple. But there's two individuals. And it's okay for the disciple to have concerns. <laughs> you know? I always embellish it just a little bit. Lord, <laughs> do you know who you're talking about? You're going to send me where to do what to who? <laughs> anyway, 15. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way. In other words, do what I told you. <laughs> For he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. And I, for I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. Well, apparently that was good enough. And Ananias went his way, entered into the house, Putting his hands on him, he's just doing exactly what the Lord told him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest, has sent me, that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been scales. He received his sight forthwith and arose and was baptized. And we could go on. Now, couldn't God have healed Saul without sending a disciple. That's the flow. He wanted to flow through a man. 
That's his preferred way. That's the way he's always designed it from the beginning. He wanted to flow through a disciple, through a human on planet Earth. And this time, it was Ananias. Now, next time, it could be you. I keep seeing, again, through a glass darkly, if you'll allow me, I keep seeing these new encounters we're going to start having with the risen Lord individually. And you're going to get some... First thing he told me, he says, you're going to become acquainted with me in a more real way than you have been acquainted with me up until now. I don't know exactly what that means. We'll know more about that later. But he, I, keep, I kept seeing that in the confessions, and I felt like we need to go ahead and put that in there because I believe we're at the place now where you may start having some Ananias-type moments with the Lord yourself. I remember one time at the ugly building while I was praying. I mean, I was just learning all of this, and I was praying, praying, and I had a set amount of time to pray. He said, I want you to take a certain amount of money and go across town and give it to so-and-so. It wasn't very much. I said, okay, Lord, as soon as I finish praying, I'll do that. He says, aren't you here praying to hear my voice? (laughs) Oh, oh, you mean now? (laughs) Okay. Those kind of encounters. That kind of thing. Only even more so.